Uh, welcome, everybody, and I hope that you are looking for your opportunity to connect. So whether that's at Basics, if you're newer to the church, we really want to meet you. A family ought to know each other and learn. We want to hear your story. It's not us pelting you with information. It's really hearing where you're at and finding the best way that we can serve you, in you as you grow in following Jesus. Well, we're um, going to continue in our series called uh, Unmistakable. And as a way of a reminder, we're looking at 1 Peter. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, just a few more verses. But uh, as a reminder, some of you, when you came in, you should have received, if not, you can get it on the way out, uh, this little prayer and fasting guide. For my online friends, uh, you just need to go to our website, and, um, or if not, someone on our team will post it in the chat. And we're dedicating five Mondays in January to purposefully seek God together. Now, should you pray on Tuesday? Great idea. You should, actually. But we're inviting everyone in our church to take a portion of time that could be mid-morning snack. I'm going to say no, and I'm going to pause, and I'm going to read scripture. We have scripture for you to read. I'm going to recall some things and rejoice and repent and recommit and have some specific prayer points. This isn't uh, the only thing you could do. If you, if you want to set the tone, we even, even have a QR code, and it will throw up a playlist on Spotify or Apple that is calming and, and will be less distraction as you pray. So I'm inviting you to do this because we want to we live an unmistakable life. We want to live as an unmistakable church. That means a bold community. Unmistakable means bold, and it means clear. You can't mistake it. And if we're going to grow in our following of Jesus and not live the whole hum Jesus life, where there's no power and there's no presence of God and there's no mistakable change, there, there's no difference. I belong to Jesus, but everything's the same. I don't want that life. That life is not what God has designed us for. So what we're going to do is we're going to repurpose a pandemic and let it reset our following of Jesus together, all right? And, and the way we do this is intentionality. So take these five Mondays. This is Monday number two. I pray it will set the tone for the next decade of your life, okay? A year just sounds too short, that it will become a rhythm for you. All right, well, let's, um, let's pray that God will open our minds to hear what he has to say, and then uh, we're going to read First uh, Peter chapter 1. Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we invite you in the power of your presence to come and to pour out your goodness towards us. We need to be reminded, Lord, we want to be encouraged in what it means to follow you in the real world and face our real problems with very real solutions that are grounded in you, God. So now, all these other things, God, that are important, thank you for blocking them out of our view right now so we can see you more clearly and follow you more diligently. And these things we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Everyone said, okay, January, great month, because it's often a time where we reset our year. And for many of us, uh, we budget per the calendar year. Most of us, you look at your resources in January and you reevaluate your budget. And the beautiful thing about that is you have to be honest when you budget, or at least you should be. When we, when we look at budgeting, 
you should look at what you actually have, not what you think you have, not what you hope to have, what you, what you dream you'll have. But a budget to be helpful is taking what you really have and then figuring out what to do with it. Last week I said, First Peter is written to remind and encourage. That's why he wrote the church. Peter, the close follower of Jesus. Peter, who walked with him three years. Peter, who was there after the resurrection, was the first to jump in and see the empty tomb. Peter, who was told by Jesus, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. This Peter is reminding this group of churches that are spread out in a geographic area as far as the state of California. These churches are all over the place. But a common thread in their day is they needed to be reminded and encouraged because life had taken a negative turn for them, just like it's taken a negative turn for many of us. And last week we were reminded that this following of Jesus, right, is the abundant life. We gotta remember what we have. Now, the abundant life for us, don't mistake it. The abundant life is not more resources necessarily. The abundant life is not more free time necessarily. The abundant life isn't that special person that you wanna know or that special thing that you're really grabbing after. No. The abundant life, according to Peter, uh, 1 Peter 1, 1 through 2, is that you know that you've been chosen by the Father. You know it. You know that you've been made holy. You can live in the presence of God by the Holy Spirit. And that you were called to obedience in Jesus. When you know that God, Father, Son, and Spirit, are working in your life and forming you, and shaping you, and God's reality becomes your reality, that's the abundant life. Which is why you can say you follow Jesus and live a dissatisfied life. If you forget that you didn't choose God, God chose you. If you forget that you're not just a nobody, you're a somebody. God's Spirit resides in you. And because the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, Nothing's impossible. And oh man, if you forget that you were called to not live your life, you were called to the obedience of following Jesus. You see, Jesus lives the abundant life, and we gain that when we actually read what he says and do what he says. This is good news. And in that sense, everyone in this room, no matter what your bank account or portfolio, uh, Middle school's portfolio is when you have a lot of money on paper, okay? When you have it in stocks and in assets and all that. No matter how much you have or don't have, you in this room, if you follow Jesus, are actually rich. And that's what the church needed to be reminded of. And I want to tell you at the outset that in this two-year pandemic, which could be two years in one month, could be two years plus two years, <laughs> encouragement, <laughs> right? You don't know how long this is going to go. It doesn't make a difference the length of it. You can live poorly in it or you can live rich. And I'm telling you, you are rich in grace and peace. We saw that last week. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through Jesus. That means everything that you need to live this life is in him and he's giving it to you as you need it. So while everyone else is going wacko, you can live in the peace of God. 
while everyone else is getting distracted and, and their way of living is getting distorted, you can live grounded. This is the unmistakable life. And we're called to it. And if it sounds like I'm a little giddy, I'm usually caffeinated, but I'm not over-caffeinated. I just, I found this to be so true, I'm going to say it with passion till it's true in you. 1 Peter 1, uh, we'll read verses 3 through 5, and it's packed with so much, that's all we can read, because otherwise it would be six hours, and there's a few NFL games that I have to watch this afternoon, so we'll, we'll cut it a little shorter. All right, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, they're all being recorded, calm down, commercials are useless, never watch them. All right, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is already to be revealed in the last time. Okay, how many resources do you have? We're going to budget, right? January is the month of adjustments of budget. Let's ask ourselves, according to what Peter's reminding us and encouraging us in, how many resources do you have? Well, here, there are at least two, and, and those two each have a litany of implications, and I want to focus on two. First is this. We are rich in God's mercy. We're rich, we're abundant in God's mercy. So that means no matter what's happening in our world, no matter what's happening in your soul or your mind or your body or your finances or your relationships, you're actually rich in God's mercy. Notice, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 3, in his great mercy he has given us, and, and, and then he's given us all these things. Now, Peter's stacking the deck this may seem like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. He's actually doing what they did all through his years growing up in Hebrew school and in synagogue and now in following Jesus. When you came to worship, by the time that Jesus was born, in the tradition of God's people, when you came to worship, you started, or when you had a prayer gathering, you started with the 18 benedictions, the 18 thank yous. Your time with God's people started with praise. Because God's praiseworthy. So when you went in, you came in from the field. You came in having an argument with your friend or your spouse. You came in a little discouraged. But you began your gathering, and that's how he begins the letter, pausing and saying, praise God. And they would, through various psalms, through various scriptures, they would identify, these are the things that God has done. This is what God is like. We begin with praise. And so Peter starts the letter just like you would in any gathering. Hey, friends at 26 West, friends online, friends here in the space, we have real reason in the middle of hard times to praise God. And here, it's because God's been rich in mercy. Now, what's mercy? It's kindness. Or it's concern expressed for someone in need. It's compassion. It's pity. This is what God is like. Now, God, if you're, if you're saying, well, I don't, I don't know this whole following Jesus really isn't meaningful yet for me. When you remember all that God has go gone through to bring you, to bring me back from my own foolishness, my own rebellion. God makes a world. He says it's good. God makes people in his image. 
And he says, it's really good. God puts male and female together, husband and wife together, Adam and Eve together, and says, this is exceptionally good. And we say, thank you, God, we'll take it from here. And that's basically the story of your life, the story of my life. God is good. We don't deserve anything. And he's given us more than enough. But instead of coming to him in praise and saying, thank you, I want to live for you. I come from you. I want to live for you. We say, we can handle it from here. Thank you, God. When I need you, then I'll show up in your presence. But I can pretty much handle my own life. And if that sounds like you, that's the entire human race. But God, who's rich in mercy, could have wiped us out. He could have. He should have. He didn't. Instead, what he did was he devised before the foundation of the earth, he already knew our rebellion would happen, and he planned for our rescue. And he did it in sending his son, Jesus. So God is rich in compassion. God is rich in kindness to those who don't deserve it. God's got pity on you. God's got pity on me. This is the heart of God. And, and we, if we forget his mercy then we're going to live deflated lives. Now, what's his mercy look like? Jesus, when he rose from the dead and his followers put their trust in him, what happened? Just read what we just read. In his great mercy, he has given us, end of verse 3, new birth into a living hope. God's given us new birth. One reason that I ought to praise God every single day is I am Jose Francisco, giving you a little background on the middle name there, Zayas. I am, and I'm from Miguel and Rosa Zayas, who live in Southern Oregon, and I'm their son. I'm stating the obvious. I have paperwork to back it up. That's true. But what Peter reminds the church, and we need to remember, is I'm not just me, human, born, growing, moving my way towards eternity every day. I'm closer to it. By the way, so are you. Every day you are one step closer to an eternity that is different from this life, but is altogether real. We need to remember that. Now, it is great mercy. At the right time when I heard the good news of Jesus, I was born new. Now, I still have the same biological parents. I still have the same passport. I still have the same documents that say, but I'm not just me. I've been born again. Peter is just repeating Jesus. Peter had taught, and the disciples and the apostles had taught what Jesus had taught. And Peter uniquely was one of the people who was there in a room at night when a teacher, a religious leader, came to Jesus at night. And his name is Nicodemus. And Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, what do I got to do to inherit the kingdom of God? What God is wanting to do. Jesus, I realize you're, you're from God. I want to know, what do I got to do to enter into what God wants on the earth? And uh, we'll pick it up in John 3. three. This is what Jesus uh, told Nicodemus. Peter heard it, and he repeats to the church. Uh, Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Peter says, new birth. You, you, you need to praise God because in his great mercy, he's made you born again. Now, Nicodemus asked the honest question, how can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Uh, I don't get it, Jesus. And sometimes when God is speaking, we don't understand it. And the helpful thing about Jesus is he helps us understand it. So Jesus answered, verse 5, 
Very truly I tell you, Nicodemus, no one could enter into the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit as a contrast to mom and dad. Jesus, I, 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 I can't have a new birth. I'm already born. I can't go back. He's like, no, you don't understand what I'm saying. If you want to enter in God's space, it's not going to be by mom and dad. It's by water and by spirit. So he explains, verse 6, flesh gives birth to flesh. So mom and dad produce child. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to human spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. And then he gives an example. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it? You can't tell where it comes from, where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. There are things that you're not going to completely understand. It doesn't make them untrue. So he says to Nicodemus, he says to us, you know what the new birth is like? God comes to you and internally that rebellious heart he makes new. God gives you not a fixed heart, not a, not a repaired heart. He creates in you a new heart. He produces in you a new mind and a new power to actually follow him. This is what happens when we believe. And sometimes we forget the power in us because of God when we chose to follow him. And, and so in God's mercy, the old life that you and I were living before following Jesus was leading towards an old death. Because the wages and the penalty of sin is what? Death. And everyone's committed and everyone's followed and everyone's entering towards a life filled with godlessness, which is death. But God in his great mercy sends his son Jesus and I'm renewed. I'm not the same person that I used to be. Now I still have the same human DNA, but I have the imprint of God, the Holy Spirit. God's presence comes and gives me a new heart. Everything Jesus said, by the way, Nicodemus knew. He knew the Bible. What he didn't connect, what sometimes we don't connect, is what God had been saying through the prophets for centuries about what was about to happen was now happening in and through Jesus. So Nicodemus knew what I'm about to put on the screen by heart. He knew the prophet Jeremiah 700 years before uh, Jesus. And, and he knew the words of Jeremiah said this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. And it will not be like the covenant or the agreement or the way of living I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and I led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was, a, and then notice the phrase, I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. So too long to get into all the details, but God took a people and made them his own family. And he says, like, they were like a bride. I was like a husband. And we committed to life together. And God gave this group of people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, their descendants, his very word, his life-giving word. And it was put on tablets so they wouldn't forget it. And he gave them his presence. He walked with them in the tabernacle. And he was with them with a fire by night and a cloud by day. And he loved them and he guided them. But all throughout the story of these people, God is faithful. And catch this. Everyone else is faithless. 
And so the challenge is these people are trying to live for God, and it's not, it's not working because their heart continues to go off. And so verse uh, 33, this is the agreement I will make with the people of Israel after that time. So God says through the prophet, I'm going to do something new. And this is what happens when this new thing happens. I will put my law in their minds, not just on stone. I'm going to write it on their hearts, just not in a book, on a scroll, in a tent. I will be their God. They're going to be my people. So no longer will they teach their neighbor and say to one another, know the Lord, because they all will know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. By the time that, that Jesus is coming, there's an entire system where the priests seemingly are closer to God and the people like you and me seemingly are further from God. In order to meet with God fully in his presence, I have to go to Jerusalem, a city, and I have to go to the temple and I have to come and with all of these sacrifices to make right for my rebellion, I have to make my way and make my way and make my way and I get to be and enjoy the presence of God and that was only to hold us over until Jesus comes. And now I can live in Forest Grove in the presence of God. And I can live in Johannesburg, South Africa, in the presence of God. And I can live in, in Pakistan, and I can live in the UK, and I can live... I, I don't have to go to one space to meet with God because now in Jesus, His presence... Jesus, risen again, sent, sends the Spirit to be in us and with us. And I can know God, and this is the new agreement. I can live for Jesus by Jesus' power living in me. This is the new birth, which means when I try to make it about me, I'm living in the old, feudal, dead way. You see, if following Jesus for you is about what you do and how much you read and how much you pray and how much you give and how much you serve and how much you do, then your following of Jesus is an attempt to know Jesus in the old way. This has nothing to do with your performance. God, in his great, abundant compassion and pity, in his mercy, he saves us when we believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And friends, this is good news. Now, what happens when we receive Jesus Christ? Keep reading 1 Peter 1, 3. He's given us new birth into a living hope, and notice, through all the things that you do in his name. No, it's not what it says. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The living hope that we have. I'm born new. Old body, but internally, my ability to know God is new, and this is a living hope. And the living hope isn't based on my performance. It isn't based on my education. It isn't based on my experience. It isn't based on my leadership. It's based on the risen Jesus. So, so the, the Jesus follower who really knows what the new birth is, isn't resting in themselves. I'm resting in the goodness of Jesus and his mercy. And so I'm anchored. The Christian life is to be anchored in Jesus. So 20 years into your Jesus following, I'm anchored to him. 
I haven't found a new source of power that's like now me. You don't get there where now it's like, Jesus, thank you for giving me like a boost to get me started. But now I'm going in my power. It's always anchored to Jesus's presence and power. And what we want to do is we want to grow in living. And when I remember this, I can live an unmistakable life. Because it's 100% of God's mercy and not about my performance. It's not about my experience, my education, my expertise, my health, or anything else. Now, this, this anchoring, this hope is going to take us somewhere. Where is it going to take us? Verse 4. So he's, he's, in his great mercy, he's given us new birth into this living hope. Verse 4. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. A second reason that we ought to thank God, we ought to praise him. Yeah, we are rich in God's mercy. Second thing is we're rich because of God's inheritance. So everything that belongs to the Father belongs to the Son. And inheritance, we get that, humanly speaking. Whatever belongs to the parents is stored up for the children, or at least in a good family situation where, you know, mom, dad don't give all their money to the pet club or whatever and leave their kids high and dry. There's an inheritance. So what, what belongs to God is now ours. When we are in seasons of struggling, we have to remember this, that God, in his great mercy, has given us new birth and then not said, good luck, good luck, I'll see you at the end. Now you live the life and we'll meet up in heaven. No. This new birth leads to a new life with a new inheritance. And you got to remember who he's writing to. He calls them exiles, strangers. You see, they're living in a situation where they're following Jesus, but they're second class. We saw it last week. If not, look at the podcast. They were living in a situation where Rome was pushing its vision and values, which was against the way of Jesus. And the people following Jesus are trying to do it in a system that's working directly against them so they don't feel at home. And if you are a Jesus follower today in Portland or wherever you're watching from, and you don't feel comfortable where you live, congratulations. I'm nervous if you feel really comfortable with the vision and values that are being spewed at you every day. You see, those of us who follow Christ... We know we live for a new kingdom and we, we follow a new values that's based on Jesus and not on what other people are saying and doing. And so in their culture, they're losers. People are looking at the Christians and saying, they're nobodies. And that may feel like you sometimes. You know, you, if you're in high school and you're saying, I want to follow Jesus, you're going to feel at times like a nobody, like you don't fit in, like I'm not doing what everyone else does, and not because I want to be a prude, not because, you know, I want to flaunt it that I'm better. I just want to honor God. And if you want to honor God with your life, sometimes you're going to feel like a foreigner. And the word to you is you have an inheritance. You have an inheritance. The resources of heaven belong to you and me. We belong to God. God lives forever. We're going to live forever. God never runs out of anything. He's not looking in the cupboard for PB&J. He doesn't run out of eggs. He doesn't run out of milk. God never runs out of anything. He owns it all. And in the same way, because we belong to Jesus, doesn't mean we don't have a physical need from time to time. 
but we are connected to the, to the one who has endless resources. I'm never alone and without because I know the living God. And, and the reality is they need to be reminded of what's theirs. And, and, and humanly speaking, we long for that. If some of you have received a physical inheritance from someone else like grandma or grandpa or an aunt or an uncle or some even get an inheritance from a friend, which talk about a friend who would think about you when they're gone, then you ought to be grateful because that's, that's mercy, right? Uh, by the way, if, if you're expecting an inheritance of someone, someone, you don't deserve it. I hate to be honest, but you don't deserve it. Inheritance by nature is something that is, is owned by the owner and given at the right time out of generosity and beauty. And so, so the, there are gifts, and, and these gifts, this inheritance, we know some of it we're going to taste now. Some we're going to have to wait till later. But here's what we need to remember about God's inheritance. Quote, it will never perish, spoil, or fade. Isn't that good? I mean, if someone gives you as an inheritance, they leave this earth and they left something to you, will it run out? Probably for most of us, unless you got the jumbo jackpot and you're living off the interest, then, then God bless you. I hope you're generous. But for the rest of us, what we have, how many of you have already had to return something for Christmas? You got something at Christmas and for some reason the, 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 it shrunk, you know, it, like the problem was the way they made the clothes was too small. No, you got bigger. Like it, it, we had to, had to exchange something, right? Or, or how many of you had something already break from Christmas? We're only in early January. Um, our, our dog, Daisy, best dog ever. And, and she gets Christmas presents. She, has, she actually has a stocking. We do stockings at our house. And she's picked up. She's like eight, nine years old. She's a rescue dog. But she's picked up that there's stuff for her in the stocking. So Christmas morning, we're doing our stockings. I kid you not, we pull out the Daisy stocking. Daisy sticks her head in the stocking and pulls out with her little teeth her little gift. And she loves the toys that squeak, you know, squeaker, squeak, squeak, you know. So she chews on it, and it's cute and annoying, and it's cute and annoying and cute. And so she knows her job is to kill the squeaker. So she put her, her little snoot in there, pulled it out, totally tore off, uh, the, the wrapping paper, and she starts squeaking the toy. And I'm like, Daisy, you got more in there. She sticks the snoop back in there. She gets three. Father, son, it's, no, it's not Trinitarian. It's just what we could stick in there. So, so we, she has her three squeaker toys. And while we're having our Christmas, she is like going crazy trying to pull the squeaker out of all three. And our great dog and her great supreme strength and ability She's actually overweight and sloppy. But, but our great dog killed all three of her Christmas presents by the time we were done unwrapping ours. She just, she just went, she was focused. She wasn't thinking about anything else. She's like, you gave me a gift, Dad. I'm going to kill it. And, and in one sense, you could say, <laughs> her inheritance has perished, spoiled, and faded, right? And she's got to wait till next Christmas to get more, actually, She's going to get some soon because, you know, she's a cute dog. <laughs> Everything that we have right now, humanly, is in the process of perishing, spoiling, and fading. The greatest gift that anyone's given you, 
Even the new car, you were dreaming about the new car, you got the new car. Theoretically, now no one could buy a new car because there's no chips. But if you got the new car, that new car will need the new car freshener within a year. Even your new car will need a freshener to make it smell like new. Because everything, humanly speaking, is fading. Your inheritance in Jesus is never fading. Never, ever. It's never going to spoil. It's never going to run out. All that God has promised is secure. But the challenge with the inheritance, and this is where the metaphor is really helpful, is you get a taste of it now. Think of the person that's going to give you something in the future. It's yours legally on the document. Your name is on it. Do you expect all of it now? If you are, we need to have a conversation. You are rude. No. But you can count on it if they don't change and give it to me instead. Right? But theoretically, you can count on it. In, in Christ, everything you need to enjoy God is available but some of those things you will not fully see right now, which is why inheritance that will never spoil, perish, or fade, and then notice the phrase, kept in heaven for you. Where? Heaven is the place where God dwells without sin. God rules over the whole of creation. God rules over all the universes. But heaven is the perfect place where God dwells apart from evil and sin. So heaven is not on earth right now because there's plenty of sin right now. But God promises that at the end of time, Jesus is going to return and heaven is going to come crashing down to creation and we're going to enjoy the Lord forever. But right now, there is a space between you and heaven. Because right now in the body, we still sin and we're still infected and affected by sin. So, so he's like, the inheritance you have, some of it you're going to taste now. So God heals, really heals. That's part of the inheritance that we taste now. You have days of joy. You ever just have that day where it's like, it can't get better than this. It's kind of like a sunny day in January. It just can't get better than this. That moment is like a taste of heaven. Because then your kid's going to come running in out of their nap and destroy your moment of peace. And then that's just a reality check. You're not in God's space fully yet. But friends, what God has promised, his mercy, he's never going to run out of mercy for you. He's never going to run out of compassion for you. He's never going to run out of pity for you. He's never going to run out of forgiveness for you. He's never going to run out whatever you need, whatever I need, whatever we need. We get, it, we get part of it now, but all of it is in the future. And that's why Peter qualifies it. It will never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for you, notice, ready to be revealed in the last time. So right now, they're living under Roman rule, which is oppressive. And Portland rule is going to increasingly become oppressive to the way of Jesus as a culture. That's part of the equation. Here's the other part of the equation. Greater is Jesus in me than the culture that's against Jesus. So I'm not against people. <laughs> I'm not anti-people. I just know that the inheritance I have in Jesus is more real 
than anti-Jesusness. So, as the abundance of mercy, catch this, I can love people who are against me and don't believe what I believe, and I can love them, not hate them. Why? I've been given mercy. And my inheritance is mercy. And at the end of the day, I'm going to live in the overflow of mercy. So I'm going to extend mercy because I've received mercy. So we're going to see the new birth in full when we're with Jesus. Now I want to read a long, helpful quote that could kind of summarize and crystallize everything I just said. I'd encourage you because you can't write this fast. Uh, just take your phone out and at home, take your phone out and take a photo of the screen. And then I want you to dwell on this, even in your Monday prayer and, and fasting, if you're able to do that. I want you to meditate. This isn't Bible, but it's summarizing these great biblical truths. It's by Scott McKnight, who wrote a fantastic commentary on 1 Peter. I would totally recommend you pick it up. It says, quote, that inheritance, the one he's referring to in verses 3 to 5, is their completed salvation. An eternal life in the kingdom of God where they're going to enjoy worship and praise and blessing that's directed toward the Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, this inheritance is kept for God's people in heaven, and it's guarded by God's power. The only condition God sets out for his people is that they must have faith. No biblical author guarantees final salvation apart from faith. Now, this faith is a faith in the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I know this is a lot, but read the last line. In sum, the new birth gives rise to a living hope that's defined as an inheritance that's guarded by faith in that final salvation. It's dense, but it's worth thinking about because notice where our response lays. It's in faith. So, I'm going to pull this together. God creates Adam and Eve and the rest of us. What's their response? Follow God. Everyone rebels. God creates pathways to be brought back into relationship. What's the right response? Repent and return to God. God sends his son Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice for all of our ultimate sin, he rises again from the grave. And now catch this. It's the secret to the Christian life, which is no secret. Your response to God matters. So it's not enough that God sent his son, and it's not enough that the son went to the cross and rose again, and it's not enough that he's alive and ruling and reigning. That does not help you at all. You do not have an inheritance just because God did what God did. When you believe, when you trust that this great God did this great work for you and you turn from your Jesus, I'll get to you when it's convenient, Jesus, if I have time, Jesus, I'm good enough, but if you want to help me out and hook me up, that's fine. When you turn to Jesus and say, I got nothing but sin and death and I'm pleading for mercy, you receive all the mercy you need, and you gain the inheritance that you could never work for. This is good news. And this good news is only good if you respond to it in time. And so 
I, I'm afraid some have misunderstood what it means to follow Jesus. And have thought it was just like, I'm a good guy who needs a little help, and so Jesus be my pick-me-up. That Which is not the good news. The good news is I come bankrupt, and I receive mercy, and now I give praise to God, and the, my praise to God is I obey Jesus. I obey Jesus not because he's angry at me. I obey Jesus because he's demonstrated his love for me, and now I'm going to walk with God forever and ever, and when I fall and I will, God in his rich mercy picks me up and forgives me. And, and when I do the thing I know I shouldn't have done and I avoid the good thing I should have done, I, I'm, he's rich in mercy, he's rich in mercy. And I know that one day I won't have the inclination to do what's wrong because I will see him face to face and I will be like him. I won't be Jesus, but I'll be like him. Sin will be removed when Jesus returns and I won't have the compulsion to rebel but until then, I'm going to hold on to Jesus. Friends, that's biblical faith. Biblical faith is where I am always trusting Jesus, not just the moment I believe, but every day I choose to believe and plant my trust in Jesus' goodness, not in my goodness. Friend, if you don't respond to that great gift, you are not born again. Now, God's heart for you is that you would. And so the moment you trust, you're made new so that you can live a new life. And so I wonder if you are born again. And if not, here's the great news. You've heard it. Now put action to what you've heard. Believe. Trust. Lean in and receive. And in doing that, you receive eternal life. Man, this is such good news. For some of you, you're like, yeah, I already know that. Well, then remember, life can be hard, but God is with you, and he has everything that you need, but the right response matters. So those of us who know Jesus, respond with praise. Respond with praise. Look, life has been hard. The last few months have been hard. The last few years have been hard. The last few decades have been hard. Yes, God knows, but praise him because he's rich. And he's carrying you through. But for those of us here who are not yet following Jesus, I would invite you, today is your day to receive the gift of life. And it's the gift of life that keeps on giving life, that keeps on giving life until you step out of this world and into life. And when Jesus returns, we all experience a meal called life. Man, this is, I don't know about you. I'm just giddy about this. Because I know that when we respond in trust, it changes us. All right, let's respond. I'm going to invite you to stand on your feet, and we're going to respond in a, a variety of ways. Um, we worship because God's worthy of it. So I pray that these songs, that the words are a helpful pathway to connect your heart with God. That would be awesome. We, we respond with worship through giving, and so we recognize everything's grace. Everything I have in my bank account doesn't belong to me. It's a gift from God so that I'll live, and that's a cool thing, but I, 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 I give back to God and his work as, as worship, saying, Lord, thank you, uh, and I want to see more people follow you, so I respond with generosity. In a few moments, we're going to take communion. We're going to remember 
the gift of Jesus. Just remember, he's enough. He's enough for you. He's enough for you. And so um, some of you, I'm going to invite you. As soon as the band starts playing, we have a team that loves to pray one for another. The Bible says pray one for another uh, so that your sin will be forgiven and that you'll be made whole. How about that one? There's a powerful thing that happens when we pray with one another and for one another and bring these things to God. So if you have something you're struggling with, here's the right response. Don't be afraid of inviting someone else to step in. They're not going to ask the details. They're just going to say, how can we best pray for you? And I would encourage you, let, let that step of faith, it's in the back of our room, you slip out of your seat and just go to the back. And there are friends to pray with you. That would be the right response. If you're not yet following Jesus, but you want to today, I'm asking, I'm pleading with you to take that physical step. And when the song begins, just walk out and walk to the back and, and ask the person. And they say, how can we pray for you? Like, I want to follow Jesus. And we'd love to encourage you in that and get you started on that new life. Whatever the reason is, if you're online, you just need to click the button on your screen that, that's for prayer. If you'd like to chat and pray with someone or if you, today you want to choose to follow this Jesus and respond in faith, you could just simply click that button. Either way, the key is that we mix hearing with action because that brings change, not just the hearing. And so God, we present our lives back to you. This last hour has been a gift and the breath that we've been breathing, it's a gift. And the seats that we've been sitting in and, and, and this room, it's all a gift. The homes we're watching, the internet, and the technology, it's all gift. But God, now we want to respond in a way that pleases you and honors who you are. So Lord, as we call on you for things that matter, as we turn our lives to you for rescue and salvation and new life, Lord, have your way in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone at 26 West said, amen.